and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind-the-scenes content. We will have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Theatre Playhouse and Norwich Theatre Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this month's episode, we're transported to Texas for the brand new stage production of Holes. We hear from the man who inspired a generation to learn maths and science. Johnny Ball tells us all about his brand new show, Wonders Beyond Numbers. Plus, we share a tribute to our long-standing pantomime musical director, David Carter. First, it was a multi-award-winning novel, and then a blockbuster film. Now, the story of Holes is brought to the stage in an inventive family comedy adventure. Backstage at Nottingham Playhouse, we caught up with James Backway, who plays Stanley Yelnats, and Elizabeth Twells, who plays several characters, including Kissing Kate Barlow, a mysterious figure from Stanley's past. You have a choice. You may go to jail, or you may go to Camp Greenlake. Stanley Yellett, you will dig one hole each day. Five feet deep and five feet in diameter. Your shovel is your measuring stick. Breakfast is served at 4.30. The longer it takes you to dig, the longer you will be out in the hot sun. You're going to be thirsty for the next 18 months. You need to keep a look for rattlesnakes. And you don't want to get bitten by a yellow-spotted lizard. You will die a slow and painful death. Always. Well, what are you waiting for? I hadn't heard of it at all until I auditioned for it. And then I just read the script and loved it. And so my next protocol was the book. And oh my God, <laughs> I was reading it on holiday and it was so great. And I loved how visceral it was and describing the heat and everything. And then I did watch the film, but I didn't take too much from it because I think our version is a way more imaginative, theater-based version. So the book was the most helpful thing for me in terms of creating the characters and seeing the world. So yeah, what about you, James? Um, for me, I studied the book at year seven. Um, and I remember it very well and it is different to the film and I feel like this is definitely different to the film I feel like we've tried to stay truer to the book Um, also just the way that there's two different stories that are kind of running parallel towards each other just finding as you say like creative ways to do that has been really really fun Um, but a lot of people who have expectations of holes and I, I I had loads coming in like I find that a lot of them are met by this production you know, no matter what kind of exposure you've had to it before, um, but also if you're completely new to it, I think it's yeah, yeah you can jump straight in and uh, you end up loving the characters very very quickly, which is great. Can you tell me a bit about your characters? So my character is Stanley Yelnuts. He's um, he's just always on the ba- the wrong side of luck, I think, and uh, he kind of blames curses and bad fortune. Um, on his kind of outcomes in life and it's about his kind of journey in learning about consequences and making your own luck 
So I play five, um, which is fun and tiring. <laughs> so the main character I play is um, a lady called Kate Barlow, and she's a school teacher um, in 1890s. And she falls in love with a man called Sam, um, who is a black man and she's a white woman and it's the, their main plot line is about racism at the time and what that meant um, and it impacts what happens in the play which I won't give too much away it's just a hook there um, it impacts everything so for example James's character is digging a hole every day five foot deep by five foot wide to build character but it's not just that they are trying to find something and my character Kissing Kate Barlow has the main... She's the reason that they're looking for something. So, yeah, it's really cool. Because <laughs> she's... Um, to start with, you have the impression that she's an outlaw. Yeah. But actually, that's not the case at all, is it? No, so she's, she's a school teacher, um, And what happens to her forces her to respond in a way that at that time was the only way that people were taken seriously which is through violence and um, so then she becomes an outlaw um, which is always cool to do and the kids go bonkers at that bit <laughs> when she become really cool um, so yeah it you, she has a real character arc which I think is beautiful to see in such a short space of time and for kids to understand it not it's not overly complicated I think it's really clear um, and you can connect with it really well there's a group of kids on uh, a camp called Camp Green Lake where there's no lake, um, mysteriously, and they're forced to dig a hole every day, five feet deep, five feet wide, and they think that they're digging to build character, but they're not. They're digging to find something, but they don't know what. Uh, meanwhile, there's uh, a plot which is going on 105 years ago, which runs alongside it, which um, gives you clues as to why they are digging. I'd say that's probably as much as we can give without yeah. telling too much just because there's so much mystery and there's so many cliffhangers and there's lots of ends that need tying up so I won't I won't, I won't yeah and the, the Camp Green Lake like you say there's no lake it's boiling and there's some creatures there that you need to be careful of so rattlesnakes tarantulas but most of all the yellow spotted lizards yeah. which are deadly and will kill you always always <laughs> always it's a much-loved book, isn't it? And actually, the book's been around a while, so there are now adults that would have read the book as children. It's also um, a, a movie that um, was very much liked and remembered. Do you feel a responsibility, really, now to, to be bringing this to the stage? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> when I first got this job, um, it was just before Christmas, and I was having Christmas drinks with friends, and we're all 30. <laughs> And they were like, so what's your next acting job? I said, oh, I'm doing Holes. Holes? And they're all from a different school to me. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, who are you playing? Kissing Kate Barlow. Oh, my God. And they were just, already, there's a huge thing that I didn't know about. So I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, she's my favourite. She's so important. I, was, I suddenly felt this responsibility and also excitement of having this already, like, amazingly trod path laid out for you almost like I turn up and as soon as they say Catherine Barlow you hear people in the audience go it's kissing Kate <laughs> and that magic for me I'd rather have a bit of hype and try and fill the shoes than have to do lots of work for you to like my character yeah. so there is a responsibility definitely but I I love that I love being in something that's valued and loved by people and there's a real message in it as well, isn't there? That, that you're um, giving to... There are a lot of school children in this mm. afternoon. 
So, again, that's a responsibility to get that message across. Yeah, definitely. I think it's things... I don't think it patronises kids as well because of the levels of danger and the, the level of risk that the characters go through. So it kind of makes the audience use their logic more often than I think most... Um, kind of children's stories do because it doesn't tell you how to think it allows you to see these characters go through situations and go well what would I do what would I do in that situation Mm -hmm. and then after making a few wrong decisions you just come to the conclusion of like well that's you know and it's it's amazing because you can you can really feel the audience's investment by the end of it and the level of um yeah just connection that they have with the characters based on um, their kind of empathy with them and I think it is a, it's a play about empathy and the characters that don't do so well and the characters who um, uh, kind of come to a nasty end more often than not are either victims of unempathetic people or unempathetic themselves yeah like individualistic aren't they absolutely because I think the the beauty about when because I'm not I'm not in act one as much so I get to watch lots of James's Stanley Yalnats moments and you see the kids follow him all the way through you know oh he has to get changed in front of an adult and well, now he's in a boiler suit and you can see them experiencing it and today you would have seen where armpit grabs Stanley and lifts him up the kids go, oh my God, because they recognise a bully. They recognise being new somewhere. They, they know all of these things. And so it's like they're immediately attached and they root for you. I mean, the amount of whooping that we get generally. Yeah. And it's beautiful that they connect to him and the, the camp boys so much. Yeah. I think it's a story that um, reaches all ages. But, yeah. But this afternoon we've been in a matinee and... Yeah. Lots of school children. <laughs> yeah. How do you find they react, and, and are you sometimes surprised by the things they react to? They they can't control themselves when I have to kiss um, Sam, played by Ashley, and uh, it's 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 a very emotional moment for <laughs> most people. It starts out with an uh, and then it's like a ooh, and then oh, do they love each other? <laughs> it's a big arc. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing about when the younger audiences are in. The thing that always surprises me, how much they listen, the silences in between, they they have pockets of noise where they really, especially with this music, they feel that they're allowed over that to kind of make noise. And we've allowed them to do that. I think there's an element to when the Mr. Sir Pendanski and the warden come on that they go quiet too because of it's a teacher-parent kind of relationship and they're used to that. But they're also really listening so that the big moments of laughter or when they shout, like, oh, wow, when they see an onion, or I just think it's magic. They, they don't miss a beat, which is, like, a really, really um, amazing thing to have as an audience, I think. Um, I'm sure some people will be wondering how you actually managed to stage this story. How do you dig holes on the stage? And, and then you there's a rattlesnake, there are lizards, and it's... Very clever, isn't it? How, how did you approach that? Has that sort of way of working, is that something new to you? And how did you come to it in rehearsals? Um, well, for, well, it's all Adam Penford's uh, genius creations and ideas of uh, creating holes. I won't give too much of a way about no, the holes. No, you have to come and see it. I have to come and see it. But um, Matthew <laughs> Forbes and Megan Treadaway's uh, amazing puppetry, um, yeah, directing, they've, they've built some really, really amazing puppets. Um, they both have worked on uh, Lion King and War Horse and those kind of shows, and they've, uh, yeah, they've really set the bar for puppeteering. And also, just to see during rehearsals, um, you know, 
maybe six or seven people who have never picked up a puppet in their life get kind of trained and like put on this kind of puppeteering boot camp by our puppetry directors and bring you know the lizards and the rattlesnakes and the tarantulas to life it's, it's really really incredible and I would definitely um, if you've been a fan of any of those shows I mentioned I would definitely come and see and I believe you have had experience of that yeah, haven't you? a little bit but I didn't do any puppeteering so I'm like I'm just like yeah can you just explain what that is? so I, I did um, I did a uh, war horse I played uh, the boy um, Albert in it which yeah, was fun yeah which was um, it was um, but the horse is, yeah, the horse is kind of a bit magic and is a bit of a legend. So you kind of like feel a bit of a smug idiot talking about a war horse, like because yeah. it's all about the horse. You're so, so fancy. No, 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 no. I'm really like. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, James Backway is very fancy. No. And very talented. <laughs> Could you both just uh, tell us a little bit about how you came into, into the industry and what your experience has been so far? Um, so. We're currently sat in Nottingham Playhouse, which is the theatre that I sat in uh, when I decided I wanted to be an actor. Um, and I sort of got pushed into drama because I was really gobby and I had a lot of energy and I didn't know what else to do. Um, and, it, and it unleashed something, uh, and unleashed a joy, a clarity um, in, in what I wanted to do. So then I went into drama school went to Birmingham, uh, Royal Birmingham Conservatory, it's now called. And then uh, from there, just worked a lot in theatre. Um, and a big passion of mine is regional theatre because I'm from the regions and I think it can be overlooked sometimes. Um, and I, I, for me, it's a huge passion that I live in the regions, I'm from here, and to take world-class theatre, which I do believe this is, to those venues. So you don't have to pay £200 to go to London to see something that is as good so, which is one of the reasons I, I would recommend coming to this tour because it, it is of that value. And we are, you've got an amazing group of actors that are touring around until May. And it's, it's honestly a real privilege to be a part of. Uh, for me, I did lots of youth theatre and uh, Amdram and just did as much theatre as possible, really, as growing up, just because um, I was a bit of a loudmouth. Uh, <laughs> same. Same, yeah, great. And uh, yeah, and then um, my gran reads the stage. So that was always like a big thing of like any auditions for kids and stuff. So if any kids are listening, uh, I would definitely suggest that they get a grandma that can buy the stage <laughs> and then keep an eye out for any like auditions or anything like that that pop up. And then, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And then drama school and all the rest followed. But um, Good old granny. Good old no, granny. Yes, God granny. Yeah. Right. You're about to go out on tour um, with this. Have, have either of you had experience of touring before? And do you like it? How, how do you... Enjoy it, cope with it. This is my first tour. Same. Yeah. Um, I've done loads of like regional stuff um, before, uh, mainly in the north and Colchester and the Midlands, um, but never not been to Norwich before, which I'm so excited about coming. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Awesome. And I think the, the kind of beauty of it is that you go for a week, you get immersed into a brand new city with uh, different people and... I love that because it keeps it fresh for us as well because the big thing everyone says, how are you going to keep it fresh till May? Well, I think you just do. The spaces are different. Like even today here in Nottingham, in comparison to Northampton, it's wildly different. Um, and so, yeah, each town will feel like, I think, a, a new experience, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Uh, you're coming to us in April. Why should Norfolk audiences come and see this show? Um, I think it's one of those big epic um, shows that it's you know it's it's one of those shows that you can bring 
pretty much any age to I think any age from maybe six up yeah um but and it, and it's one of those things. It's got a show. It's a it's a show that has so many components of puppetry and songs and movement. And I think if you're a fan of theatre and you've seen stuff, and you've gone, oh god, that's really. I would have loved to have been in the room when they made that. I think this is that show. I think you had a friend that came to see it and said something similar, Lizzie. And um, I've had friends say that as well. It's one of those shows that if you enjoy. Um, watching people make interesting theatre and uh, imagining stories on stage, it's, it's kind of like the best version of that because Adam, the director, is kind of one of the best people in the country for doing that and it's been a real pleasure to be in it and, um, yeah, we want to show it to as many people as possible, I think. Yeah, I'd say it's fun, it's fast-paced, it's family-friendly and I mean that in terms of you can have somebody who is six all the way up to 80 I think you... 81. 81. No, no, no 81, no. you're done. No, yeah. But 80, <laughs> no, any any age. Um, and it, I think it's rare to find things that the whole family can sit down and take something from where one doesn't get bored or the other gets restless. I think this is the kind of show that everybody can take something from. And I think there's a real sense of like enjoyment that the, the kids get, especially from it. By the end, I mean... James has the, the a big line at the end of the show, which is kind of like a killer punchline, and we get claps, we've had mini standing ovations from kids, like, they're so committed by that point. It's such a joy. I'm the back of the stage, so I get to hear and see it in full view, and I just think it's everybody should be a part of that. Holes runs from Wednesday the 15th to Saturday the 18th of April. Johnny Ball is back inspiring young people with his knowledge of mathematics. His gift of being both entertaining and educational made him a children's TV favourite in the late 70s and 80s. Let's find out about Johnny's brand new show, Wonders Beyond Numbers. I wrote a, a book called Wonders Beyond Numbers, which is a history of mathematics, but it's, it's different to an academic history of mathematics. It's been my hobby and, and my love for, for, for all my life, and I've done so many programs on television and things all around, all around that. So the book took four years, but it's, it's very readable and very communicative, and teenagers love it, and I really do, and so the show is developed from that. And um, and it's it's going very well. It's amazing that a show about ostensibly about maths can be so attractive and so much fun because there's lots of fun in it. You know, if you call squeaking fun. Um, <laughs> well, you see, Archimedes did a squeak. If you remember, he's in the bath and he discovers something. Oh, the loofah, and <laughs> and he ran, jumped out of the bath and ran down the street in the nude. Well, you can't do Archimedes without doing the streak, so so that's in the show. But it's all good, uh, good. So so that's it. And there's lots of, of wonderful things. And I show people that really, to be honest, the curriculum gives the wrong impression of mathematics. Mm. It makes it drudgery, numeracy, statistics. That's all very drudgery-filled mathematics. And, and the real maths that, that architects and engineers 
and people do is much different. It's much more enjoyable, much more exciting, and much more fun. And that's what I've done with all my life. I did that right, right back with Think of a Number, yeah. um, which started in 1978. Good. So I've been going quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I, I'm so fit and healthy for my age, and I'm really enjoying this. And I thought, oh, I've got to, I've got to cash in on this. So I'm doing the the tour, and the tour's going very well. We're yeah. doing very well. It's nice. What was it about numbers that, that sort of attracted you? What, what gave you that passion for numbers? Right? Well, my dad loved numbers and, and always helped me. He was only an iron founder, a molder, all his life, never owned a car, never had more than 50 quid in his pocket at any one time ever in his life. Um, and, uh, but he, he loved maths and things. And, he, he, and later I found out that he, he, I knew he had a drawing board, but I never saw him use it. But when I saw this, some of the stuff he did, it was beautiful. He's a beautiful artist, just yeah. pencil artist, and um, and it was beautiful. But it was all, it was that kind of thing. So he bought me a billiard table when I was eight, and then he let me win a game when I was eleven. Now that's training. Yes. <laughs> and of course, of course, that is really great training. Um, but but that's all maths. Yeah. See, it's all it's all. Uh, the bounce and the, and the reaction when two balls collide and where they go and it's all geometry. So, so everything he did was mathematics and he loved it and he was very, he was very enthusiastic about everything. Oh, they split the atom. That's going to be great benefit to society. Mm. Oh, really, Dad? Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, but, but, it, and, it, and it all, all uh, rubbed off onto me. You know. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And how, how did the whole kind of entertainment with a smallie thing start for you? Because I was reading about you sort of. You're being a traffic controller, but you ended up going to Butlins and then into television. How did that? Well, it was my aim. It was my aim. I wanted. I wanted to go into show business. I, I, you know, I became a drummer, but really, it's because I knew that that was close to show business and would get me in. And uh, I went to Butlins, and I became a a stand-up comedian after that. I did my basic training at Butlins, and then became a stand-up comedian for twelve years, and I loved it. But. I love the clubs. I really did love the clubs. And people say, oh, weren't they difficult? Not, not if you were good. And if you were bad, you didn't do it for long. So I, I, I enjoyed it tremendously. But what I did in the clubs, I didn't want to do on television. That was a sort of a manufactured uh, sort of thing for clubs, and it worked for club audiences. But for people who saw me for television didn't see that, and neither did I. I'd have rather been a Ronnie Barker, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I, I wrote sketches for, for Playaway while Ronnie Barker was writing for, for the Ronnies, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I knew where his sources were. <laughs> I used the same sources as Ronnie Barker <laughs> and often did parodies of his shows, his sketches. Uh, sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes with a greater effect. Um, but, but, so that comedy is what links my presentations um, you know, with a with a comedian, you can't have dead time. I'm talking dead time now. I'm <laughs> saying you know, yeah. uh, with you, but you can't. You've got to move on. So I move on with the audience. So so my shows are always holding for the audience, gripping. You know, nobody starts looking at their watches and thinking how long is he going on because it's not that kind of show. There's something new around the corner every every moment. Well, that was the thing. I mean, I, I grew up with Think of a Number, and, and that was the thing with that show. You, you, the time used to just race past because it was so there was so much going on as well. That's right. And this show will race past at, at Norwich. You know, this four and a half show, our show, will only be like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, I wish I had been. I think mean, just the most wonderful comedian. But, but um, no, our show is uh, you know just under two hours. Mm. 
and um, but it, but it's, it's great fun, and it it, it it seems to work very well with the audience, you know. So they all go out buzzing a little bit, and and my book is is on sale there. Two yeah. two of my books, and, yeah. and they sell very well. So we draw. A family one. We do draw a lot of adults. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I imagine there'll be some adults who want to come and, and remember <coughs> it as well as the absolutely, the yeah. absolutely. So I would say, if anything, it's about fifty-fifty family family groups. People who bring their kids. We say not less than nine mm, because mm. much less than nine would not be yeah, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. they wouldn't be able to follow it. But but um, around that age. But, them, but teenagers especially love it, you know, things like maths clubs yeah. and, um, and, and, and science clubs and things like that. They love it because there's a lot of science in it as well as maths. Yeah. Yeah. And there are amazing things. What kind of a good, can I give you a sample? Go on, give me a sample. Give me a sample. We all know Christopher Columbus discovered America. Well, he didn't. <laughs> and so I explained what he actually did. And when he got... To where he was going, he called it the Indies going west or the West Indies, which he still called the West mm, Indies, mm. right? Because he thought he'd reach the Indies. If where he landed, you stick a skewer through the Earth, right, at the same distance above the equator, slightly above the equator, straight through the middle of the Earth, you'd come out of the Philippines, which is the Indies going east, the East Indies, oh, you know, China. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was half a world away from where he thought he was. And he was further away from where he was going than when he started. And yet we credit him with discovering America. We didn't. But there's a man called Amerigo Vespucci, mm-hmm. you see. Yeah. And he understood where he was. He knew exactly how far he was around the world. He's almost 90 degrees around the world from, um, from Nuremberg because he had an almanac of Nuremberg which told him when planets would line up on a certain day. So on the same day, he checked the planets lining up where he was and realized he was almost 90 degrees away. And that's why America is named after Amerigo Vespucci. Wow, I didn't know that. I know, and nobody knows it. Isn't no, it? No, no. So there's all that kind of thing. So I, so I talk about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I go everywhere, all over the place. But, uh, but it's not never boring, Matt. No. If no. I do any sums, I do them myself. Right. And show them how they're done. Right, right. And that's great fun as well. And uh, but I talk about, um, you know, genius, and, and and I eventually say to the audience, well, why can't you be a genius? I actually say to the, the kids as well, <clears throat> how many of you are hooked on computer games? And the hands go up. Yeah. I mean, forests of hands. Go up, you know. <laughs> and I say, well, it might not be a bad thing. And the parents go, what? (laughs) (laughs) The effort you're putting in and the hours you're putting in to try and get better at those games is great training. Mm. And it's natural. It's just like a dog um, finding a bone and chewing a bone. It's the same kind of thing. It's natural to to try and concentrate on doing something well when you're young. It's part of your training. Now, if when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you put that same effort into your career, yeah. there's no reason why you can't be a genius. There's no reason why you can't reach the top. Goodness. So that training, although yeah. it's crazy and we all go mad, come away from those computer games, put it down, switch it off, um, it is natural training. Yeah. And that could be the training that you need. So it's, it's, so it's very motivational. Yeah. I try to... 
encourage people. I will, cannot stand doom and gloom merchants. Mm. I, cannot, no, I don't do any climate change in the show. I don't know anything. I don't yeah. go near that. Yeah. But I cannot tolerate our doom and gloom um, feeling. And I don't think children should be ever taught to be doomy and gloomy and worry about the future. This is not their place. It's their place to become experts in some field and help us all yeah, become better. Absolutely. And that's what the human race is doing. It's a relay race. And this generation will do better than the last generation. And that's always been the kind of... I was, I was watching some old uh, clips of Think of a Number on YouTube earlier but when I was sort of set before chatting to you. I mean, it's always been about enthusing, hasn't it? I, I get that. Yeah. And, and, and touch on things without having to go too deeply into Yeah. Them. Once you start educating on them, you've got to go into detail, and then it becomes drudgery, and, and the kids get bored. So you touch on things, and you, you know, you, 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 you know, it's a, um, Archimedes said, give me a lever long enough, and I can move the earth. Mm. <laughs> How long would the lever need to be? <laughs> well, I work it out, and in, oh. in the show, I tell them it's quite a surprising distance. Uh, the, the lever would need to be. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. No, I don't, I'll have to come and watch to, to say that. And I mean, I, I was also reading on your set, one great line that jumped out at me, retirement is not an option. You're still, you've got no intention of, of, of hanging up the entertaining and, and putting your no, feet up. It's because I'm healthy. I've still got my exercises, and I did them this morning, and, and I'm fine. I'm, I'm looser than I was a couple of months ago at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I've got, a bit stiff around Christmas, and now I'm I'm I'm, I'm very fit. Yeah. You know? So yes, yeah, it's a I like working theatres, and I yeah. think the theatre show is a theatre show. It really is a theatre show, you know. And with the other one that I do for kids is 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 it's not got an interval. It's very short. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> and tighter, but um, but no. no, and it's lovely to bring the families. And yeah. It's lovely for the family. It needs love. So many older people who remember the shows come and it's lovely sort of that. Johnny Balls, Wonders Beyond Numbers comes to Norwich Theatre Royal on Sunday the 17th of May. And finally, all of us at Norwich Theatre were shocked to hear the news that long-standing pantomime musical director David Carter passed away. Our communications manager John spoke to those who knew him best. David Carter could easily be named the UK's Mr Variety. A vastly experienced musician and arranger, he'd performed in many of Britain's major concert and theatre venues during his career, including the Royal Albert Hall, the Royal Festival Hall and the London Palladium, where he was part of Bob Hope's 80th birthday celebrations. For over 20 years, he was musical director for Danny LaRue, and also worked regularly with Ken Dodd, where he'd often perform alongside him on the legendary comedian's visit to Cromer. And the many other people he worked with reads like a who's who of show business, including Frankie Howard, Bob Monkhouse, Elaine Page and Sue Pollard. David was also musical director on many major West End and touring productions, including Godspell, A Chorus Line, The Rocky Horror Show, Jesus Christ Superstar and over 30 pantomimes. He also enjoyed a strong reputation for the quality of his musical arrangements at the Norwich Theatre Royal Pantomime, which gave him the chance to work with old friend Richard Gauntlet, who himself has been part of the festive production for almost 20 years. I might say it's mid-80s doing uh, musical gigs up and down the country, and uh, he was accompanist in MD. 
Um, and and I work with him pretty well constantly for the last 35 years. He's always been there. He's always been there as an arranger, as a, as a musical director, and as, and as a good friend. For Panto executive producer Jane Walsh, it was also quite a coup to attract David to the creative team in Norwich. I mean, he'd been doing the musical arrangements for us since 2006, production of Cinderella, and we tried to persuade him to leave the pantomime he was doing before to come an MD for us, and it took us four years. So he came in 2010 uh, as the musical director and continued doing the arranging. She particularly remembers how his musicianship and creative flair meant that his musical scores were always memorable. And he was sort of famed for his overtures, <laughs> which would have all sorts of little bits of snippets in, but he was great at that whole sort of sting thing, so if we had somebody from Coronation Street, he would be able to weave it in. Over and above his professionalism and ability was his natural charm, kindness and love for theatre. He was a, a witty innocent. He, he just, his smile, um, he's one of those faces you can always see. And he was, uh, he was an, an amazing force within the variety profession. He, the MD of Ken Dodd and, uh, and Danny LaRue. And he, he worked through all of the great variety years, all the last of the great variety years. Um, and if anyone wanted a, a, an evening of variety, he was the guy to get in because he, he pretty well could sight read absolutely anything or just play, play by ear. David's happiness, enthusiasm and love for Panto is also remembered by Jane Walsh. I mean, he's, he was just sort of such a great man. And the thing that's just been um, sort of foremost in my mind is a, a picture of him smiling because he always he was always smiling. He was such a kind and, and sweet gentleman, really. And usually by the end of the pantomime run, I, I go and watch often very often the last performance from the side of the stage. And there's a monitor that that fixes on on David so that they um, deputy stage manager can see and give him cues etc and even after sort of 50 odd performances he was always there and he was always still laughing at jokes and smiling up at the cast and just really thoroughly enjoying himself I think. The last word though ought to go to David himself. In this interview back in 2015 his love of performing and his natural modesty shone through. I'm very lucky, I've always found something to, I always, uh, I never turn a job down, if it's a good job I do it, if it's not such a good job I do it anyway. Um, I always had the motto that um, even if you do, whatever job you do, you're always going to learn something. That was always right when I was a young person starting off, you always take every job, because even if it's playing in a pub, as you sometimes used to do in my day, that doesn't happen much now, but I'd play in a pub and you'd learn something there, you wouldn't get through the evening. And sometimes you earn, learn more in a pub than you do doing a proper job because people tell you what they think in a pub, which they won't do another way. <laughs> a talented man whose ability spoke for itself. All of us at Norwich Theatre Royal will miss David greatly. That's the end of our show this month. Thanks to James Backway, Elizabeth Twells, Johnny Ball, Richard Gauntlets, Jane Walsh, and of course, David Carter. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you want to hear in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Podcast. <laughs>